You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 52. I'm a doctor. I've lived for over 2,000 years. I am Scottish. I can complain about things. Shush. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing two episodes, sort of. Uh, uh, how about an episode Ooh. and its prequel? Uh, we're ta- we're going to talk about The Night of the Doctor, which is the uh, seven-minute prequel to The Day of the Doctor, which was the 50th anniversary special uh, from 2013. And joining me today on the panel, as always, are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Howdy. How's it going? Great. So I got to tell you, when I, when I was looking at the, the information about this episode, I was looking at, it aired in 2013. I mean... That was four years ago. It seems like just yesterday that yeah, we had exactly. the 50th anniversary. We're already up to, <laughs> by the time the next episode, the next new episode comes out after the Christmas special, the next season, it'll be 55 years. I mean, that's mm-hmm. just astonishing how time has flown. Um, we, we, so what can we time say about flies, this? Time flies when you're flying in the TARDIS, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I mean, so let's talk just like a, a minute about the 50th anniversary. I mean, this was a big event. This ep- this aired a uh, worldwide uh, simulcast, which was a big yep. deal for a non. The day of the doctor. Yeah, the, I'm sorry, the day of the doctor for a non-sporting event, a worldwide simulcast. It 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 played in movie theaters. Um, it was a they made a huge event out of this. Uh, th- this and rightfully this, so. I mean, yeah. And of course, we're going to start with talking about the night of the doctor. They even brought out this prequel, this little mini episode online on YouTube that you could go and sit and watch. Right. Um, which, I mean, it was incredible too. I mean, we're going to talk about it. Yeah. It, 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 it's actually one of two. Um, there was another mini episode. There's like a four minute thing called the last day. And the contrast between the two could not be more stark. Yes. Um, the night of the doctor is awesome it just has all kinds of wonderful stuff crammed into that seven minutes whereas the last day is four minutes of almost nothing so yeah, yeah. you know you may as well not even watch plot. it yeah. well yeah. there was no oh. doctor in that that was that one was it was uh featured some uh gallifreyan soldiers right is that the one i'm talking about? yeah exactly yeah okay uh yeah that was sort of i mean it was almost like a a, a weird like trailer Steve- yeah, Stephen Moffat wrote that when he was half asleep. It was a throwaway thing. But Night of the Doctor is an important part of the show's history now because it's only the second video appearance of the Eighth Doctor, and that's something that fans were not expecting. If you when you when you start watching this, if you watch it cold without knowing anything about it, like I did when it first yeah. was available. Um, you know, you've got this woman, she's on a crashing spaceship. She's talking to the computer about whether she needs a doctor. And then you get this great line from behind her. Paul McGann says, I'm a doctor, but probably not the one you were expecting. And nobody was expecting that. <laughs> That's yeah, right. And to exactly. finally get to see Paul McGann on screen again after all these years and then get his regeneration story yep. in seven minutes. It was so awesome. Yes. You know, and it, it was interesting. I was doing a little research. Uh, just talk about Paul McGann real quick. Um, 
according to IMDb, that when they produced the 96 series or the 96 movie that we talked about last last episode, um, they actually offered the role of the Eighth Doctor to a lit, then little-known actor, Christopher Eccleston. Interesting. He, he, he was actually offered the role of the Eighth Doctor and refused it because it was he was so early in his career. Well, then it came back around the Ninth Doctor. He took over the role. Yeah. Because you wouldn't want to be typecast that early in no, your career. No, right. it's just kind of interesting that th- that connection was made. Interesting, um, but yeah, I, I with Jimmy when this when this first came out and first watched this, it was just absolutely mind blowing and just just a great relief almost to see the Eighth Doctor again, even for just a few minutes. Well, yeah. I, I mean, Moffat had was famous for wanting to gather up loose ends from. Classic Who, uh, from from you know prior prior uh, showrunners who had left loose ends laying around, and and I think you know he has said before that the, the fate of the Eighth Doctor between him and the Ninth Doctor, who played by Christopher Eccleston, was one of those loose ends. Like, how did we get from here to there? And that that right, was yeah. sort of the the kernel of the appearance of the Eighth Doctor here. You know, one well, of the it, thing. Go ahead. I was going to say, and also builds into the day of the Doctor. Where did this War Doctor? Right. Who is this this regeneration? Where did it come from? And it 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 tied up that loose end before it was even a loose end. So one of the things I I, I kind of remarked on as I was watching this, uh, having just watched the '96 TV movie, was a well, how much older Paul McGann is here? I mean, it's almost yeah. almost yeah. two decades. So yes, he's much older. Uh, but also how different the Doctor is here. You know, that was one of the things I I, I, f- I forgot to mention uh, last time was it, we you know the the re- post regeneration Doctor is tends to be manic and a little crazy and wild until he sort of settles down. That's sort of become a trend. Uh, and that was certainly true of the McGann doctor. Uh, and, but we never got another episode with him sort of as a, a veteran doctor settled down. Uh, this is who he is uh, until now. And this is, this is sort of a, a taste of the, that what, what the eighth doctor might've been like uh, as a regular series uh, of new who. Uh, so it was and, nice to and, see that. Yeah. And you, you get a lot of that in big finish because he had many adventures in big finish. And actually at, at the end of this little seven minute episode, they canonize big finish. Yep. And right. we can talk about that when we get there. So let's jump into it. So, Jimmy, you kind of set the stage. Uh, the doctor materializes on this crashing spaceship. He's trying to save this woman, and she she would rather die than go with a time lord. She just hates the time right. lords because uh, we're you know we kind of get this idea that this is this the time war is destroying the universe, and everybody blames the, the time lords and the Daleks for this destruction. Uh, and so the the ship crashes. The doctor um, is dying for his dies from his wounds, but is brought back for a period of time uh, to make a decision. He's got four minutes of life in order to make this decision proposed by the Sisterhood of Karn. Now, there's a lot there. What's the Sisterhood of Karn? Okay, so Karn is another planet in the same solar system as Gallifrey, and um, it has a kind of split-off civilization known as the Sisterhood of Karn. They were apparently originally from Gallifrey, but they had some kind of disagreement and migrated to Karn. They're all women. And it's kind of like, uh, they're kind of like Vestal Virgins. They're kind of like a mystery cult. 
Um, they worship a sacred flame. They, they're tenders of the sacred flame. And they have elevated Time Lord science that's connected with regeneration. If you want to see them in their original appearance, it's in a Tom Baker Fourth Doctor series called The Brain of Morbius. And it's a really creepy, really good series. Also, interestingly, kind of based on Frankenstein. But we've met, so we've met them before. And now here they're going to use their elevated Time Lord science to offer Paul McGann the chance to regenerate into a form that will actually help save the universe. And they give him some choices, um, but I, I don't want to skip too much ahead on that. So, um, this, there's this great line that he gets where he's told, like, again, this is Moffat at his best, uh, Stephen yeah. Moffat. Um, she tells me it's four minutes and he says, four minutes, that's ages. What if I get bored? If I need it or I need a television and some books, anyone for chess, bring me some knitting like this, yeah. this rapid fire sort of, <laughs> I, I just, I know it annoys some people. I, this is the oh, sort great. of, this is the sort of stuff I love from Moffat. This, these great little bits. Yeah. Just little lines. And there's, there's multiple ones like that in here. Um, when the, they're on the spaceship and the doctor is taking cast, that's the pilot to the back of the spaceship where the TARDIS is. She says, why are we going to the back of the ship? And he says, because the front crashes first. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, by the way, pro tip, that's true. And, <laughs> and, and also, even though the airline industry doesn't like to talk about it, your chance of surviving a plane crash is higher if you're in the back than if you're in the front. Yep. That's true. <laughs> so uh is also another reference to uh, you know as she talks about the sacred flame that he refers to the flames of utter boredom or eternal life yep. i mean this sort of yeah. this disdain for the the ongoing life he seems very world weary and weary of the war um and so they offer him a regeneration and they give him a choice uh showing that the change what he becomes doesn't have to be random uh they have these and chalices all, yeah now they've already kind of it, it, Early on, they showed when they showed us in Tom Baker's era Romana's regeneration. <clears throat> it was very strange and played for laughs, but it appears that that wasn't totally random either. So, yeah. But at least it seems that much of the time it's random, and the Sisterhood has found a way to control for that. Okay, and I guess the choice is, is you know, do you regenerate and continue on as the Doctor you have been, or do you become a warrior because you have there's something unique about the doctor that makes that makes means that he can stop the time war. It's what, yeah. did, I, mean, I think Become that's the man you need to be. Right. Right. There's something, and there's something unique about the doctor that makes him uniquely capable. Um, as she's sort of outlining the thing, the different things he can be, she does say man or woman. I noted that, uh, that, right. so that's, that's the, younger. That's old. the, that's the first time we've had an explicit mention of a set of changing sex and regeneration. That's right. Um, he, uh, he doesn't want, he refuses. He doesn't want to, because he sees himself as a good man, uh, a doctor, which is the same thing in his mind. Um, but he chooses warrior. Um, and then he, he lists some names. Yeah. Uh, uh what was that about? Was that companions? Yes, those were so he names five companions: Charlie, Cariz, Lucy, Tamson, and Molly. And those are five companions that he had in the Big Finish audio plays. Um, and so thereby, Big Finish is canonized. And okay. I found an article if you want to read about who those companions are. 
I found an article online that talks about those five companions specifically um, to kind of, you know, provide context for that line. And uh, Dom, I'll send you that link so we can include it in the show notes. Definitely. Good, good. This continues that my comment from last week about, uh, you know, is he the first doctor to never have a companion on screen? But we talked about how Grace and Lee from the TV movie were kind of uh, companions, One shot if companions. not, if not official. Yeah. Um, okay. That's, that'd be, I'd say I'd like to read that. Cause, uh, that really, uh, I want to fill in a little bit about, you know, the eighth doctor cause it, he intrigues me. Um, so he takes the, the, the chalice and sends them all the, the sisterhood away. Uh, cause he wants to be alone to, to, to drink it. Um, and he, he quotes, asks, will it hurt? Yes. And she and, says, and she says, Yes, and he says good. good. So he's got some kind of self-loathing going on. Right. And then as he takes it, he's he quotes from the Gospel of Luke. He says, yeah. a physician, heal thyself, uh, which is a very interesting uh phrase that's loaded. I mean I mean and do do we want as to, the doctor, yes. physician heal thyself. Do we want to pull out the any theological understanding of that uh th- that might apply? <laughs> It, well, I mean, he's 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 got self-loathing going on, you know, because he wants this to hurt. He um, he also wants to he hates the time war. He wants to put an end to the time war. He knows he's not capable of doing that, given who he presently is. So he's willing to become a warrior. And I guess that's kind of healing himself, changing from a doctor into a, the warrior that's needed at the moment. Um. Uh, also, and we talked about this when we talked about the 1996 TV movie, there was a lot of religious symbolism that they associated with the doctor. We had him as a Christ figure versus the master as a devil figure who was literally appearing as a snake. We had the master literally compared to the devil, the doctor literally compared to the second coming. He looked like in one scene, Christ emerging from the tomb and another scene, he was wearing a crown of thorns made of nails and in a crucifixion posture. So he was clearly being presented as a Christ figure. And now they pay that off with this is his version of the Last Supper. He's drinking from a chalice that they probably bought at a church supply store (laughs) and then quoting Christ and saying, physician, heal thyself. So there are obvious Eucharistic overtones here. Right. I mean, that's Jesus. And, and in Jesus's life, this is the moment where Jesus is preparing to go to the cross. And on an emotional level, that's what Paul McGann's doctor is doing here. It's it's He's preparing for his own self-sacrifice. It reminds me a lot of the Garden Gethsemane. I mean, the dark uh, flame yeah. lit, the big stone uh, that that you know, that he's there with, you know, let this Jesus says in the garden, you know, if, if it be your will, father, let this cut pass from me. I mean, there's definitely those the, yeah. at least at least implicit connections, uh, whether they were they were explicitly intended or not. Um, oh, I think they were. I think yeah. I think Stephen Moffat knows. I mean, he's not he's an atheist, but I think he knows his Western literature well enough to, to for all that to be intentional. Okay. And then he he says, uh, "Doctor, no more," which is a phrase that it becomes loaded for the day of the doctor that, that, that no more becomes. Um, and then we have the regeneration and then the face we see is of a young man is so it, it's the, the war doctor as a young it's man. A, it's, it's a young John Hurt. And right. And so when we next see the war doctor, he's going to be an old man. So maybe this idea is that 
um, we're supposed to understand that there's going to be this long period of time where he is a warrior, a lifetime yep. of war that he's going to be endure- enduring. Um, yep. So that's the Night of the Doctor. Anything more that we need to say? Uh, um, any- two, little, two little small points. Um, the Doctor in this episode says to Cass, I'm not part of the war. I swear to you, I never was. And it's and and it's not clear to me because they're doing now Paul McGann time war episodes by Big Finish. And I'm not sure if they're going to ignore that line or kind of dance around it or, you know, this could be a case of the doctor lies. Um, But I'll be interested to see what they do there. Also, um, now. A couple of regenerations ago, when Peter Davison's doctor sacrificed himself to save his companion, Perry, that was the first time a doctor had, and thus far the only time, a doctor had regenerated specifically in order to save a person. Um, and, And in that case, it was a person that he had only just met because it was Perry's second adventure. Here, we have something even more dramatic. The doctor ends up dying because he's in the he's in the spaceship crash. He ends up dying trying to save someone that he has not only just met, but someone who is refusing his help and wants him dead. And right. that's how he meets his death. So it's even more self-giving. It raises the stakes and the understandings of what he's going through in this moment of choosing to become the war doctor. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's uh, now shift to the War Doctor, the Day of the Doctor. Uh, I do want to play the tr- the sound of the trailer for that one now. I've had many faces, many lives. I don't admit all of them. There's one life I've tried very hard to forget. Great men are forged in fire. The privilege of lesser men to light the flame. The moment is coming. I'm ready. Oh, lovely. Why are we all together? Why are we all here? I remember this. Almost remember. Oh, you've redecorated. I don't like it. For once, I would like to know where I'm going. No, you really wouldn't. I'm looking for the doctor. Well, you've certainly come to the right place. Yes, the day of the doctor. So uh, the uh, as the episode opens, we get the very old style cold open uh, from the original first Doctor's time. We have that you know the 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 on screen the little effect on screen the oscilloscope sort of thing. Uh, it starts out in black and white with a policeman walking in front of a brick wall past a sign that uh, for a scrapyard, which is exactly how the very first episode of the first Doctor opens up. Um, which yep. was a lot of fun. And then he walks past that to a sign for the Coal Hill School uh, with uh, Ian Chesterton as chairman of the governors. 
for yep. the for the school. Mm-hmm. Which so we've talked about this in the past uh, when when we um, we've t- we we've talked about episodes where the uh, Clara is teaching at the Coal Hill School, and we've talked about that connection. But it's a lot of fun that they kind of went back and made that explicit connection to the first doctor there. Yeah. And this is not actually the first time they've done that. Um, in Sylvester McCoy's era, um, for the, uh, for the seventh doctor, they had the 25th anniversary and they did a similar callback to the very first episode of Dr. Who an unearthly child for that anniversary show too. But it's really nice to see it here as well. Yeah. So Clara is is teaching. She gets a a, a phone message, uh, and she hops on her motorbike to go see the doctor. Um, we get Clara's theme, and I I remembered for the music, uh, yeah, music in classic who was not really I think d- didn't really have a big deal apart from the theme, but in the time of Moff- Stephen Moffat, he really made music an uh, essential part of the experience of the of the show, even more so than mm-hmm. under Russell T Davies uh, era. And I really feel like like the Clara's theme music um, was so good at creating a, uh, an emotional moment. I mean, it really became mm-hmm. part of the script in a sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just just hearing it again now that Clara is no longer part of the show, just hearing it again really reminded me of how much that really added to the to the to, to the sense of the show and Clara's really central role in the life of the doctor. Um, Yeah. Another couple of pieces of music that have similar prominence. One of them is Amy's theme, which is this very haunting kind of floating uh, tune, but then also, and we heard it in the, in the teaser you just played in the trailer, you just played um, the really driving dun, 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 dun. That's the theme of the 11th. Yeah, I, I have that as a ringtone. <laughs> oh, cool! Well, I, I mean, I, like you mentioned, though, it was an element of Russell T. Davies because there's the, um, there's again kind of that high that was used. Um, I can't think yeah. of it now, but it was it was used for uh, the sad used for rose. It was used for rose. Okay, oh. yeah. I guess yeah. I guess they had that. I, I didn't. It didn't feel as iconic for me for some reason. I guess, um, but you you're right. It does. You do remind me that the, that they did that. They started having these themes for uh, the campaigns. I mean, I guess there's a big difference, which is that between the 80s and the in the 2000s, the idea yeah. of of cinematic soundtracks for TV shows really mm-hmm. came into into vogue. I mean we we have I mean music for TV is so much more there's so much right. more thought given to it yeah. than it ever was in the 80s. Well, they're, well, they're, and, they're and definitely pulling a, off of movies, you know, cuz you yeah. know, we can think of Luke's theme from Star Wars and we can think of oh, yeah. you know, Imperial March from Star Wars. I think you know that those yeah. themes were elements have been elements of movies for years. Right. But now they are starting to bring that into TV, you know. And theme three characters they they also are spending some more money on it and allowing producers to license popular themes that people will already know. So that was something, you know, uh, I, I, I really noticed it in the 2000s that TV started using lots of popular music that you would have heard on the radio years earlier. But back in the 70s and 80s, you never heard a song from the radio on television, except maybe in a commercial. Yeah, Lost was but famous not, for not, that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we even have had a little bit of that on Doctor Who, like in uh, the <laughs> end of the world episode where they go oh, to the yeah. year five billion, we hear tainted love. Mm-hmm. Or uh, we also heard Britney Spears at one point, uh, yeah. Yeah. The, uh, which was the, a low point for Doctor Who. But nevertheless. <laughs> <laughs> now, actually, just as a, interestingly, a callback to, um, I guess, the second is either the end of the first or the second Doctor I guess it was the end of the first. There's a scene in a in a pub in London where we have the Beatles performing on television. Oh, funny! That's yep. a, yeah. Oh, that was that was a the, the episode the chase and it was actually on the TARDIS. Okay, they, they had a they had a device where they could pull uh, broadcasts from throughout time and show them on the TARDIS. Okay, I was confusing it with the later series. I think it was the War Machines where there's extensive pub scenes. Right. So, um, although they may be in that too. So Clara, Clara's on her motorbike and she rides right into the, uh, the door of the TARDIS into the, into the control room, manages not to smash into the, uh, control, uh, the, the TARDIS control panel, which, uh, thankfully, uh, <laughs> and has a little a witty repartee with the doctor. Uh, the, the, there's this sense that there's been some time since they've seen each other. Um, and then uh, suddenly the TARDIS launches into the air without the engines engaging. And we find out that unit has taken the TARDIS by helicopter. I, I was unclear on this. I, uh, what was going on? Like the doctor calls Kate Lethbridge Stewart for, of unit. And, mm-hmm. and she says, Oh, doctor, we found your TARDIS for you. We're bringing it here. Like, why would she have assumed that the TARDIS was unattended? Yeah. And why didn't she just knock on the door? <laughs> Right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and of course, the doctor chastises her about saying he doesn't like being picked up. <laughs> right. Yeah. What what they're really doing here, because this is Matt Smith's penultimate episode. I mean, the next time we're going to see him, he's going to regenerate. Right. And so there's this sense that the Matt Smith era is coming to a close. And what they're doing is a callback visually to the beginning of yep. the Matt Smith era, because that began with the TARDIS flying over London with Matt Smith hanging out the door. Yep. And so they give us that again now at the end right. of the Matt Smith era. That's true. So I like the Kate Stewart's ringtone, speaking of ringtones, is the TARDIS sound. Uh, yeah. And we see Osgood, which which a fan favorite. Everyone loves Osgood. Uh, this is her first appearance. Yes, yes, but I mean, in the sense of we, you know, when she become, we, yeah. we, we, she becomes a fan favorite uh, from this episode. I think. I mean, she becomes a stand-in for the fans here. I mean, yeah. she she is a a fan of the Doctor. It's in essence uh, as a member. Yeah. Of the every unit. T- every time you see her, she always has some element of one of the early Doctors. Right. And, she, and here she's got the Tom Baker scarf. Another right. one. She's got the Sylvester McCoy uh, vest another episode later right. on, you know, things like that. So she's always kind of showing up with some element of the early doctor. And so they, uh, they, they drop off the, uh, the TARDIS in Trafalgar square with uh, the doctor hanging from the bottom. Um, he's presented with orders from Elizabeth the first, which we were supposed to, you know, the queen Elizabeth the first, we're supposed to, that's supposed to kind of uh, like, wait, did I hear that right? Um, they yeah. go to this special nice, nice fake out. Yes, you're expecting Elizabeth II. Right, exactly. And then uh, they take him to this special area of uh, of the uh, the British Museum where they have uh, a, a was it um, did they say dangerous artwork or just special artwork? Yeah, uh, in the under gallery, it's artwork that's like too 
problematic for public display. Right. Which means there's a lot of uh, alien art <laughs> in there. Yeah. Um, they, uh, th we, we get this, we get this idea that the, the 10th doctor married the queen Elizabeth at some point because he's in a painting with her. Um, and, and they, they've kind of told us or hinted at that before, because in the end of time, which is, um, uh, David Tennant's regeneration story. He comes out of the TARDIS. He's been kind of delaying his final adventure. And he tells, he talks to an Ood and Ood Sigma, I think, and tells the Ood uh, that the he alludes to Elizabeth I, says she's going to need a new nickname because she was known as the Virgin Queen. Right, right. <laughs> so um, they, they are presented with this uh, painting is supposed, is, um, is, Elizabeth's credentials to prove that it's really her uh, sending this note. Um, the painting is called Gallifrey Falls or No More, um, which we are eventually learn is actually the one named Gallifrey Falls No More. Um, spoilers. Spoilers. Yes, I know. I'm, I'm jumping ahead. I assume you've all watched the episode. Um, well, of course, this this whole whole podcast is jumping ahead because we are like skipping over basically all of David Tennant's time and most of Matt Smith's time to talk about this episode but only because of the war doctor. Right. We're to, yeah. right. We're that, doing a lot of jumping around in time here. We, we didn't actually say this is that. a very yeah. wibbly wobbly yeah. podcast. We yes. didn't. <laughs> yeah. Cause we didn't actually say why we were talking about this episode. So I suppose that, that's Good. that I should put that in here, which is we're going through all the regenerations of each doctor. And last time we did the regeneration of the seventh doctor into the eighth, Sylvester McCoy into the eighth doctor during the 1996 TV movie. And now we're we're doing we're the, about eighth to the war doctor with the night of the doctor. Now we're talking about war doctor to the night. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> but Matt Smith and you know the tenth doctor and the eleventh doctor end up in this episode, and it's primarily the the tenth doctor who's who's starring in this. Uh, you know, spends the most screen time on this. Yeah. Um, and we should we should talk a little bit about that um, because uh, this would be a good point because this is I mean the reason we're doing this episode is to talk about the transition from the War Doctor into Christopher Eccleston, and Christopher Eccleston isn't in this, and there's a reason for that. Now this is being the fiftieth anniversary. It's kind of become common to do team ups for significant anniversaries. So the very first for the 10th anniversary of the show, you had the three doctors. They had the first three doctors mm -hmm. uh, um, team up on an adventure. Then for the 20th anniversary, it was they did an episode called The Five Doctors, um, and, uh, and it teamed up the first five doctors. By that point, um, the very first doctor, uh, William Hartnell, had passed on, so they had another actor step in to play the part. But they did have all five doctors. And then for the 50th anniversary, it was natural to have another multi-doctor team up. Now, some of the previous doctors got their noses a little bit out of joint. Uh, apparently, Colin Baker did because they weren't asked to be in this. Mm -hmm. But frankly, I can totally understand why you don't want to do a 90-minute story called The Twelve Doctors. <laughs> because it's just it's going to be nightmarish nobody's going to have any screen time it's going to be terrible yeah. storytelling and, and so you you really have to narrow the focus and so what they decided to do was invite the new who doctors so they invited christopher eccleston they invited david tennant they invited matt smith 
And then they had the reveal for John Hurt as the missing doctor. But Christopher Eccleston had such a sour taste in his mouth after the one season he did um, that he didn't want to do this. He didn't want to come back. And so uh, so that's why he's not in this. And I can only imagine they transferred a lot of his lines to the other two doctors or the other three doctors that are in it. Now, as, as I understood it, that actually originally they had written it for, for Christopher Eccleston and the other two. Mm-hmm. But the war doctor they had to create when Christopher Eccleston said no. Well, that could be. I, I could be wrong on that, too, but that the initial... Hmm. The initial impression was that the eighth doctor was supposed to be the war doctor. The war doctor. No. And when Christopher Eccleston said, I don't want anything to do with this series ever again, I'm not coming back, get it. Then they created John Hurt, war doctor. Um, and then redid the eighth doctor with the, the night of the doctor and all that. Um, hmm. One thing they did do kind of behind the scenes, there were some shorts that were put out where it was, uh, Peter Davidson, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Paul McGann. Oh, yeah. They had this whole, this whole, the whole controversy about them not being invited, where they went to the BBC headquarters and all these. It was, they were pretty amusing I, little I, shorts I, that were done I, online. I mean, they were, I was, I was going to mention that. I, I'm not familiar with uh, shorts, but I am familiar with like a mini movie. Oh, mini movie. Sorry. Peter, yeah. Peter Davidson wrote and directed. Uh, that does involve uh, the other surviving classic doctors, except for Tom Baker. Um, and it's called the Five-ish Doctors. Yeah. And it's called that's, that's, Five... That's what I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's called the Five-ish Doctors because... Um, because it's it's got uh, Peter Davidson, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy, and Paul McGann. That's four. But Tom Baker didn't do it, so it's only five ish. Not really. I think, I, as I recall, I think they had like a uh, like a cardboard stand up of the fourth Doctor. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it's really it's really funny, and and uh, you should definitely check it out. And it implies that they are actually they they are actually in um the uh the fiftieth anniversary special, even though you never really see them and then of course, and at the time they released this, we didn't know that Paul McGann was coming back for night of the Dog. that was yeah. unknown at all, so then you watch this, and you know Paul McGann's there, and he's playing along with it, and oh oh by the way, he has his own little short people with yeah. Him. And we do end up seeing Tom Baker in the 50th anniversary. Also in the Five-ish Doctors, it was done very much with the cooperation of everybody who works on the show. So Stephen Moffat yeah. is in it, and, uh, and, and I, I think uh, it was Matt actually Smith put out, and David Tennant are in it. I think it was actually put out by the BBC as well. I mean, it was like yeah. an official release as part of the 50th anniversary celebration. Okay. That's anyways, fun. we're jumping around a lot. This yeah. is really going to be a wibbly wobbly. I I did see parts of that. I don't think I ever actually saw the whole thing. I should go back and find it. So the, it's worth a watch. So I don't want to I don't want to glide over um, the Gallifrey Falls uh, painting, three D painting, uh, because it's a, it's a key to the plot here. And they yeah. they they come out and tell you it's a slice of real time frozen. That's what they they come out and say. Yep. Um, and in fact, right. like if you can go in, you can, it, it zoom in enough, you can actually find individual people, which is what we do. At at one point, we 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 zoom in and we see um, the battle going on. They kind of take us into the battle and these cool of Arcadia of Arcadia, right? The Battle of Arcadia, um, and it's 
it's we see this kind of actually one of the things that stuck out to me was these cool Dalek fighter jets, uh, like Tie Fighter thingies that that are flying around. I don't know if you noticed those, but I'm like, wow, those are kind of. Why don't we ever see those in the other <laughs> other uh, shows? Because those are cool ones. Um, the the, uh, the it's a good thing Arcadia when it when it falls into rubble, it creates these nice clear lanes for the Daleks to roll through, um, mm-hmm. and through the rubble. Uh, they they Daleks corner a, a group of Gallifreyans. And it's about to exterminate them when they find that when they, they, they hear the doctor nearby or they sense the doctor nearby. And it seems like they have an overriding imperative to no matter what, no matter what else you're doing, drop everything, kill the doctor. Um, well, he is the oncoming storm. He, right. He's, right. A, he's their, you know, deadly uh, adversary through all history. Right. Exactly. By, by the way, there's there's a just for. You know, there are various allusions in this show to various things. And Arcadia is an allusion to a place in Greece that in classical history is known for it has a reputation for being very peaceful. And uh, and so an Arcadian setting is one that's supposed to be very placid and peaceful and, you know, kind of country like and everything and a really great place to be. And so here we have this tremendous war happening at a place called Arcadia. It's a deliberate irony on the how corrupting the time war has been of even the place that's supposed to be the most peaceful is now just being thoroughly destroyed and ripped apart by the time war. Interesting. So as the as the Daleks are coming to get him, he's the doctor has uh appropriated a a gun from one of the uh, soldiers and he's he's using it to shoot a message into the wall no more and i'm not i didn't understand like why is he yeah. spending the time to do this i don't i didn't understand um he's yeah. the doctor and he can <laughs> i guess so yeah because it's cool because it provides a hook for the phrase no more in the story but <laughs> it doesn't make a lot of sense does it so uh then the, the tardis crashes through the wall uh demolishing several daleks and uh the the doctor escapes from Arcadia, um, and the the um, this Dalek that's half destroyed is laying there, and it's questioning the meaning of no more. You know, so explain, explain. Uh, there's no explanation. It gets blasted. Uh, I did like in the effects of the Daleks getting blasted. Uh, one of them coming apart, and you see in slow motion this little octopus-like figure come flying out of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think it was the Dalek. By, by the way. This is also our first real view of the Time War. Up, I mean, up to now in the new Who, for all the years it's been on the air, we've only ever heard about the Time War. And we've heard about some really frightening things in the end of time. For example, David Tennant talks about the almost wases and the never beens and the nightmare child and stuff like that. But we've never seen anything. And so this is our first real view of the Time War and its devastations. That's right. And, and, and we're, I mean, I think within the limits of what they have to, to work with, you know, in, the, in a TV show, they effectively portray how, like, the, the, the Time Lords are the ultimate power. I mean, they're supposed to be, you know, the masters of space and time, and they're reduced to, to, to being, they're getting their butt kicked by the Daleks, you know? And it's, yeah. so you, you, you really get the sense of how desperate their situation is. Um, and you have the the high council of uh of Gallifrey in their war room 
um, sort of, and, and you can tell that they're, they're dismissing the doctor as a madman. Um, actually, it, one thing I think was interesting about this, that wasn't the high council. That was the local council of Arcadia, of uh, the town. Because they, they mentioned at some point where they're the high council, you're referring to the high council. That's what I thought was kind of interesting yeah. choice. This wasn't in the capital of Gallifrey. This was in right. the, the second largest city of Gallifrey. Okay. Yeah. And that would make sense because they don't have Timothy Dalton back as Rassilon, but we know he's there on Gallifrey on the last day yeah. of the time war. So they couldn't explain, oh, he regenerated again. Right. Yeah, because so we they, know he's we know he's Timothy Dalton right. at this time. Unless this is you know, just the, 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 the equivalent of the joint chiefs. Like these are just because with this general we mm-hmm. will see again. Uh, yeah, yeah, we on. see him later in Peter Capaldi's time. Yeah, but, yeah, but it, it, it's it's more of a local council than it was. A, okay, um, I mean, a, you know, the high council, which was again, yeah. I thought was kind of an interesting choice. You know, not to focus on the capital, but on the second largest city. And yeah, Jimmy's got that's a good point. You know, that he, they didn't want to try to have to get Timothy Dalton again to <laughs> right. replay the role. So they and uh, all those other actors. They uh, they they get this message that the time vaults have been uh, breached and and. Uh, a weapon has been stolen, and we explain that the time vault ca- contains the forbidden weapons that are just too dangerous to use. Except, well, they've used them all except one. Like, like well, if they're too yeah, dangerous, that would be like any that would be like any arsenal, right? It's yeah. they're, they're they're forbidden <laughs> until we need them. Uh, so, yeah. nice situational ethics on uh, on this uh, on behalf of the time lords. Um, the, well, and it sort of says something, doesn't it? Like, uh, no matter how high-minded your principles are if you invent a weapon you, no matter how often you say well it's a weapon we would never use there's there's always going to be someone who has that situation when the situation arises they're going to say well now we have to use it you know that a, a weapon i think that's what we're trying to do what they're saying here is, is yeah. a weapon sitting on the shelf is a weapon waiting to be used if you're keeping it around you're you're holding open the possibility exactly. of using it right yeah. right and so what we find out is that the doctor has stolen the 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 uh, weapon of ultimate mass destruction, the moment, um, a, which is so powerful that its operating system has become sentient, and has a, and has a conscience. And they ask the question, you know, how can, how do you use a weapon of ultimate mass destruction when it can stand in judgment of you, uh, as in you know it can refuse to to go off in a sense. Mm-hmm. What is it that the moment could even turn on you? Right, exactly. What is it that the moment can do? I, I'm not. I, I don't know if that was ever made explicit. Well, and they've and in some of the tie-in media, I think that they had a different explanation for what the moment was than the one they give us here. In this, in its initial form, it's presented as kind of a box. Um, it's kind of an ornate box with Time Lord writing on it and. John Hurt isn't initially sure, and we should talk about who John Hurt is in a moment, but uh, John Hurt initially isn't too sure how to use it, and he talks about it having a kind of clunky interface and says, why can't there just be a big red button? And then he meets the interface in the form of Rose Tyler as Bad Wolf, Um, and then later it takes another form where it does kind of protrude a big red button for him to push. So it takes different forms, but uh, apparently what it does is if I understand it correctly, is it incinerates everything on and in the vicinity of Gallifrey and time locks the area. So it's basically the equivalent of a giant nuclear bomb with a time lock, I guess. 
that um, is going to wipe out both the Time Lords and the Daleks and seal off the Time War to prevent this part of history from being undone in the future. Okay. Okay. So no one can ever bring back the Time Lords and the Daleks as long as the Time Lock is in place. Right. But it freezes, it destroys and freezes this one moment. Okay. It freezes and destroys it. Okay. So he. By the way, we mentioned we mentioned John Hurt. Yep. Um, he's so. In, in case you're wondering where you've seen him before, he's a very famous British actor. Um, you may have seen him play the Emperor Caligula in the very famous I Claudius series from the 1970s. He was awesome as Caligula. Um, he was also the Elephant Man under all that makeup. If you saw the Elephant Man, he did uh, the voice of a rabbit in Watership Down. And for uh, fans of uh, A Man for All Seasons, the uh, the movie about St. Thomas More, he plays the traitor Richard Rich. And that's one of the kind of recurring themes of him, of his career as an actor. He often plays these characters with a dark side. So he, as Richard Rich and as Caligula, He's outwardly, you know, this attractive, charming guy, but he has this horrible dark side. And that's part of, I think, why they cast him as the doctor, because as the war doctor, because he comes across, he can be very charming, but he also can come across as very broken and dark. Interesting. And sadly, he he passed away early this year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But not before recording War Doctor Adventures for Big Finish. Nice. Yep. Nice. More to, on my list. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the doctor, um, it, it is, he sends out this ominous warning, the broadcast to everyone. Time Lords of Gallivray, Daleks of Scarrow, I served notice on you all. Too long have I stayed my hand. No more. Today you leave me no choice. Today this war will end. No more. No more. I mean, so you get the sense that... <clears throat> The doctor's kind of saying, look, I have the ability, you know, I've had this ability. I've let you wage war because to stop you would have required something worse. I mean, this is, you you get the sense that he's not just another time Lord. He's the ultimate time Lord. He's the most powerful time Lord, or at least that's what he's saying. And, and that's something they've hinted at before. Um, uh, We know that there are these certain great time Lords like Omega and Rassilon and back in Sylvester McCoy's time, there was a um, there was a, a script editor named Andrew Cartmel who wanted to imply that the Doctor was essentially a, a version of a third great Time Lord from the dawn of Time Lord history, who he called the Other. And so there would be Omega and Rassilon and the Other, and who was somehow tied in to the. Uh, to our doctor, and that was known as the Cartmel Master Plan, and they started dropping hints about this, but it never really paid off on the show. It got canceled, um, but in the 25th anniversary, um, Morgan Le Fay, like, looks into the doctor's mind and says, you know, you're not just another Time Lord. You're something much more than that. And, and they, and here they're kind of playing with that again. He is kind of like the ultimate time Lord. He, even whether, whether he, he has a connection to mythic time Lord history or not, he's functionally taking control of this situation and is going to impose his will on the rest of the race. 
So we see him here. Um, he lands somewhere in, in a desert-like area, uh, and he marches across the sand with a burlap sack, enters a barn-like dwelling where apparently they're, they have tractors on uh, Gallifrey because they're big tractor big wheels. Tractor there. tires. <laughs> yeah. Um, By the way, we, we see this barn later. Um, this is apparently a barn that the doctor played in and even slept in as a little boy. Because in the Clara Oswald era, uh, she visits this barn when the doctor is like a little boy before he's gone to the academy. And then we see it again in Hellbent, the final Clara Oswald story, where um, when uh, Peter Capaldi's doctor shows up, there's a woman tending the barn who initially tells him that he can't, he's not supposed to be here because this is for the boys. And then she realizes who he is, and it's like, oh, he's one of the boys. And that raises a question of who's the other boy, mm -hmm. which seems to be a gesture to the longtime theory that the master is the doctor's secret brother. Interesting. Right. Uh, so a, a barn of import, <laughs> despite <Yes>. its look. <laughs> so um, he, like you said, Jimmy, he encounters the, the moment's interface which has taken on the appearance of Rose, who the war doctor would not know at this point. Um, right. She calls herself Bad Wolf as well. Um, so, um, a good, another good Moffat line, stuck between a girl and a box, it's the story of your life. Uh, yep. I, I like that one. Uh, and, and they kind of go back and forth over this, and she says, she kind of presents him, like, if you set this off, you're not going to die. You're you're going to have to suffer a consequence, and your consequence is to live after having killed all of Gallifrey and the Daleks, which is something that we expect as fans because we know that the Doctor goes on to become the Ninth Doctor and live and live with those consequences. So they're they're kind of playing with our expectations here as we as we go on, um, and then we have the, these time fissures uh, appear, and a Fez comes flying through. It, it's, it's one of those. Um, we're getting elements of the story out of order. That'll become clear. Um, and then so we see that. And, and the reason for all this is apparently the moment is doing it. Right. Yep. So the, the moment has picked the image of Bad Wolf from his future, kind of confused about was it past or future, as a way of relating to him. And now she's essentially doing a Christmas carol. Right. With the doctor, showing him how things will be or if depending on what he does now and so it it's essentially i mean this is basically a sci-fi reworking of a christmas carol and you know it's, there's some very stephen moffat scenes in here like uh you know big ramping up the drama and the the time vortex opens up and then the feds comes flying out and the moment goes i didn't expect that <laughs> yes. yeah yeah well uh like when when the uh was it the 11th doctor uh, the time fisher, he says, anything, it's a time fisher, anything could happen. And then the Fez comes out and he goes, for instance, a Fez. <laughs> like, he yeah. says, yeah. <laughs> it's a, a, a kind of a great moment. I mean, this is, uh, the idea, I think, as we look back, is the moment, which is confused about the past and the future, because it's a moment in time. It's sort of like a, a two-dimensional character would be uncertain about three dimensions. And so it's, it's, it, it's it, but what it's trying but to all do. All time is one moment. Right, and looking. All Yes, all time right, sort of like how God sees all of all of time uh, from uh, from an outside perspective, um, and and so 
what looking back on this episode, I see what what the t- moment is trying to do, which is here is where you will be in the time of the the tenth doctor, which is not so far removed from you, but here is where you can be in the time of the eleventh doctor, which is four hundred years from now uh so there there's this i think this idea of like saying, look, you can you you can you know you can you can survive this." I I think that's that's kind of what I got from it. I, I don't know if that's yeah, I think I I think she's also showing him the consequences cuz I ultimately she does not want him to use her. He, she doesn't want him to push the big red button. Right. She later gives him the big red button to end the time war, but she doesn't want him to to actually kill all of Gallifrey, including they point out all of the children who were obvious innocents on Gallifrey. And and so she's showing him the burden he's going to carry if she if he goes through with his contemplated action. So he's going to spend all this time regretting it as the 10th doctor, the man who regrets, and then trying to forget it and deny it as the 11th doctor, the man who forgets. Right. Okay. that. Yeah, that's. That, that's really the yeah i kind of i have that as a later note but yeah that's but all of that it gets upended by their eventual solution which is a which i think the moment kind of leads them to a bit oh yeah um, she she's she's definitely manipulating all of this to get him to that point right so so then we shift to england in the 1500s where we have the 10th doctor uh with queen elizabeth the first um romancing romancing her um uh, uh, offers to marry her, asks her to marry him. Uh, she says yes, and then that's when he says, "Aha, I have you. You're really a Zygon." And then talks about all the ways that she's a bad copy of a of a beautiful woman. And it turns out it was really the horse all along that was the Zygon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love it when he says, "Uh oh, I'm going to be king." <laughs> <laughs> and this this alludes to something that um that. And it's kind of a little paradoxical and maybe just a flaw in the writing, but it alludes to something that we've already heard about, because in the end of time, David Tennant's regeneration story, before he goes to his final regeneration, he meets this uh, ood and talks about how Queen Elizabeth's going to need a new nickname because she was known as the Virgin Queen. So he uh, he implies a relationship with her. But here. He's apparently in the context already of his extended regeneration because Matt Smith has a line about what you do in the privacy of your own regeneration is up to you. And that implies he's already been in the fatal radiation chamber to save Wilfred Mott and that this is this is set in his timeline in that extended period where he's revisiting all of his companions. Mm. And although I guess you could, I I guess you could harmonize them by saying, okay, he's already had a relationship with Elizabeth and now he's revisiting her again in the context of his regeneration. I guess, I guess I didn't get that, that understanding of regeneration at that point as in the actual regeneration event, but as in the persona, you know, like we talked about the the fourth doctor, the 11th doctor, the 10th doctor, in that time as personas, kind of how I understood that. Yeah. Mm, I mean, I might be okay. it differently that it, it wasn't. I, I don't, 
I wouldn't think it wasn't it was a lifetime the, though is a private event if it's the privacy of your regeneration. That's well that's what I mean that's well, that's what I mean by the mm-hmm. by that reference of regeneration as in that that timeline. That that right. uh, that, that time lifetime, period I mean. You know because I, I would if you remember the regeneration, of course we'll we'll talk about that later when we hear on the podcast that, that regeneration from David Tennant to Matt Smith. He was in great pain throughout his goodbye journey and you don't see mm. any of that in this at all right there's there's no sense that he's in the midst of that radiation induced mm. regeneration here i, I kind of got that too that he was taking like you, you know in the privacy of your own regeneration and, and it, it kind of referring to the idea that uh each incarnation of the doctor is sort of there ha- regeneration yeah and there has to be some sort of internal agreement that when I regenerate, I have a new personality and a new new face. I'm gonna kind of gonna judge you. exactly. I won't judge what previous guys did, uh, in- except that war guy. We're totally gonna judge him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, the consistency is not always the doctor's uh, uh, friend here, and, and, and things. Uh, so uh, the the I like the idea that the fez is an element, uh, an important element of this this connection among them. You know the that. Um, the 11th doctor finds the fez in the under gallery, puts it on and it is what he throws back and forth. And that it has been showing up among things um, that uh, we also have Osgood um, as a, uh, she's in the midst of this investigation that the 11th doctor has put her on to what is this stone dust that we see, but you know, here um, in the under gallery, you know, why is it all here? He's so he set her on that, um, and then we have the the, the this movement that the uh, the eleventh doctor jumps back in time, jumps through the time fissure, uh, into the time of uh, the tenth doctor. Although I don't want to skip over the um, the element of these paintings because they'd be important right. without the people in them, the, with the glass busted out from inside, uh, which we'll find right. out later has to do with uh, the Zygons and these statues that uh, were reduced to stone dust and replaced by Zygons who apparently can stand very still for long periods exactly. of time. Exactly. They can cover themselves up with sheets and, and pretend to be statues <laughs> yes. covered by sheets, apparently. Right. Uh, and Osgood at her best. I mean, she's just, this is some, some great moments here with Osgood. Um, by the way, notice we have the reference to the dating controversy about when the unit stories are set. Exactly. Right. 70s or 80s, depending on your context. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you, we get once once Matt Smith, uh, once the 11th doctor jumps back to the uh, to Elizabethan England, uh, we get lots of two doctor jokes. We have the two the two uh, Sonics and this compensating much with the sonic screwdriver thing uh i do like the they both put the, the glasses on and like oh yeah i like your glasses um yeah we get a reference to reversing the polarity which is it's not just a doctor who thing but every science fiction uh story ever yeah. reverses the polarity to fix things and they kind of talk about well it, yeah but they the, reverse the, the polarity the, by reversing <laughs> Yeah, and the third Doctor specifically is known for reverse the polarity of the neutron flow. Right, right, and uh, and so you have this reference like if we're both reversing the polarity, we're we're canceling each other out, um, confusing the polarity. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> um, the uh, the the um, sorry, the War Doctor comes through, and uh, we get this. Uh, he, he he talks about how 
first he mistakes him for compa- the companions of the doctor saying oh these companions are getting younger all the time uh and then uh, makes a reference to uh Matt Smith's inability to talk without waving his hands around which is a uh, a funny yeah, exactly. a funny reference uh meanwhile kate uh has taken clara to the dark archive uh, underneath unit headquarters in the uh, tower of london is this something from classic who the, the no, dark this is this is new okay and so the dark archive is a lot like the time vault isn't it the uh, the time lord's time vault where it contains things that are so dangerous that uh, we don't even want the doctor to know we have them which is an and 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 just to clarify what it is, it's a, it's, it's another, it's kind of like the under gallery or it's kind of like the time Lord's time vault. But what we see there is a bunch of stuff that unit has collected in connection with the doctor. So there's like, there are profiles of all of his previous companions and there are, um, uh, there are lots of, uh, pieces of alien technology that they've picked up from different races. We see parts of things like we see a Cyberman's head and things like that. And so this is, this is basically, it's kind of, it's also kind of like Torchwood, but um, it's kind of their current focused doctor oriented study center. Right. And it's so secret that anyone who works in there has to have their their memory wiped uh, when they leave so that they don't remember even having been there, um, which we learned that Clara has been there once before uh, and then had to, uh, and, and then doesn't remember it. Um, right. That uh, the, the guy, the guard at the door, you know, every time someone comes through says, Hey, it's my first day. And Kate, <laughs> funny, funny aside says he's been here 10 yeah. years. Uh, <laughs> so in, in, in this, uh, um, vault. Oh, you know, one of the things that happened was is that the one of the unit scientists, uh, back way back in the 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 uh when when they first saw the Gallifrey Falls painting, got a phone call telling him to move it to someplace. And so we see that the painting is here in the dark archive. We don't know why yet at this point, um, but it's here. And then um, there's a uh, uh, the the what is it? The wrist device. The time. The- Vortex manipulator. Vortex manipulator. Sorry. Yeah. I, I, all of these different gadget names, I, I keep getting it mixed up in my head. So the vortex manipulator that Captain Jack had uh, is down there, uh, except they don't have the activation code because only the doctor has it. And it turns out that Kate is a Zygon using Clara to try to get the code from the doctor uh, because the doctor and the, the, the doctor, the three doctors, have been put in the uh, dungeon uh, beneath the Tower of London um, by the Zygon Queen uh, and uh, Queen Elizabeth. And so the 11th Doctor writes the activation code on, you know, scratches it into the, the, the stone of the dungeon so that in the future, uh, Kate can then go and send somebody to go take a picture of it, and that's the code. Okay, so... We have yeah. we clear on that. It's very Whew. very complex, <laughs> and it happens to show up just as the Zygons are attacking, and Clara can grab the vortex manipulator and punch in the code and hook. Right. Luckily, there's a uh, someone uses their iPhone to take a photo. I don't know if you notice that the, they use an iPhone to take a photo. Um, but there's this nice scene in the dungeon between the three doctors, which is, uh, but where we kind of get this idea of like this the war weary war doctor 
he kind of even makes this comment like what makes you ashamed of being a grown-up he says to the two other doctors and they both kind of like remind him like we know who what you've done we know where what we've done and we're this is how we're dealing with it um you know the man who regrets and the man who forgets and and he talks about you know the, how f- after 400 years the 11th doctor has sort of gotten over it quote unquote but by suppressing it by by forgetting and and even like you know yeah. the the whole thing about have you counted the number of children on Gallifrey that day and the, the 11th doctor kind of says ah, I don't remember and if but of course he does yeah, yeah the 10th he doctor knows the exact kind of, number kind of poo-poo's it off the 11th doctor says 2.2 billion Right. Yeah. Also, I think there's something kind of meta going on here because in New Who, and especially in the 10th and 11th regenerations, the doctor, the actors playing the doctor have gotten much younger. And so Matt Smith's actually the youngest actor ever to play the doctor. And there's a much more younger juvenile feel to things. But that's not where the doctor came from. Originally, he was an old man. And for a long time, he was an he was a very mature man. And that's where the series is heading also, because Matt Smith is about to regenerate and we're going to get Peter Capaldi. So Stephen Moffat already knows we're heading back to the doctor being an older man. And I think that's part of the line. I think that's part of the subtext to um, to John Hurt saying, making the point, what's wrong with being a grown up? Right. It's, and and I think he's it's kind of a signal of where the doctor's been and where he's going again. So they they come up with a very clever solution to uh to getting out of the dungeon uh because the door is a wooden door and we know that sonics don't work on wood. Uh but what but what they they figure out is they're going to come up with a resonance frequency to disintegrate the door and in order to do that they start a calculation that's going to take hundreds of years with a sonic. So they start the calculation on the War Doctor's sonic. Screwdriver. Yeah, uh, and it will, because they realize it's the same, well, the moment tells them it's the same screwdriver, the same software, just a different case, uh, which she would know because she's software. Um, and so they're just about to use the solution when Clara comes walking through the door. And they're like, how'd you? Because it's not cause locked. Because they, <laughs> they didn't even bother checking to see if it was locked. Uh, I like that. It's supposed to be locked. Right, exactly. They just assumed. Uh, there's this moment where we like Clara's, you know, the, Clara and the tenth Doctor kind of say hello, and there's this moment of recognition. And I'm trying to remember when did Clara, and I mean Clara, not the two other times where she showed up as different people. When did Clara meet the tenth Doctor? She hasn't, but except in that time fragmentation thing where all the copies of her got scattered across the universe. She may be recognizing him from that. Oh, also, she when she was down in Matt Smith's timeline on Trenzalore, she saw all the different versions of the Doctor right. leading up to the War Doctor. So she may be recognizing him from that. Okay, okay. All right, so sort of a, we're prefiguring a bit. Yep. Prefiguring, yeah, cool. calling back past, future, I get it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All the same. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So we we get so what we get is uh we think it's the Zyg- the Queen Elizabeth Zygon uh explains things. We get another one of these moments where uh the, the tenth doctor insults her terribly, 
thinking that she's a Zygon. It turns out she's still not a Zygon. She's just pretending she's, to be. She's the real Great one. Great callback. <laughs> yeah. She's the real one who has killed the, the Zygon one. But they, the Zygons don't know that she's not. Right. And so uh, we have this status cube that um, that works with the Time Lord art to, to put people into the painting. Um, and it acts like suspended animation, another prefigurement. Um, or, uh, I liked I liked the analogy like cup of soup, except he had time, not not water. I, that's actually was a good analogy mm-hmm. for me. Uh, I don't know why he didn't like it. Um, was that Zygon that that kind of went into the painting? Was that the last one? Uh, like there were no more Zygons left in in that time. Presumably, I guess. I, I, I never that was never explicitly told us told to us, but I guess that had to have been the case. Um, so. They then go to the TARDIS to travel back to uh, our time, or the, the present time. Um, the TARDIS doesn't like having three copies of the same Doctor inside uh, because of the, the time paradox. Um, so you get some glitching of the internal setup of the TARDIS. Right. Now, they have... And we get to, and we get to see the roundels again. This is the first time <laughs> yep. we've seen the roundels in the whole... I love the round who. thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they don't what know... What are they? No clue. They don't know what yeah. they're called. That's that's the funny thing. Is the fans know, but the doctor doesn't. Yeah. Um, now, they, they need to get into the time vault, but they can't... Because, uh, the, not the time vault. The dark archive, but they can't because it's doctor-proofed and TARDIS-proofed. So they come up with a scheme to suspend themselves in the Gallifrey Falls painting, but how? Like, and when? That's the question. Do they go back to Victorian I, England? And Yeah. And so they're suspended that, there for 400 years? Uh, uh, apparently, yeah, but it's it's all, it's just a moment of time to them. Right. So they effectively, they go back and they flash forward to our time. Uh, but first they place that phone call telling the guy in the undergallery to take the painting to the dark, or to the uh, dark archive. So they never address it, but I'm trying to figure out what's the what's the the trigger that that gets them out of it. We we we're never told plot plot me. Yes, the uh, yeah exactly. Yeah the uh, the give the you uh, filter switch. Uh, they, 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 <laughs> they, they had a they set a timer on the uh, on the, the painting. That's, That's what it is. There's an alarm clock on the that painting. Could be um, head cannon. Yes. Uh, I like the fact that the in the painting they shoot a Dalek with their screwdrivers, mm-hmm. despite the fact that the the war doctor tells them earlier, you know, why are you keep pointing your screwdriver? It's not a weapon. It's a, it's a tool. And yet in this case, they use the screwdriver as a weapon. So, well, the the Dalek. I mean, I think the and, and true, but I think the Dalek is kind of a special case because it is a machine. So if you take machines apart with screwdrivers, you got three screwdrivers, you could take apart a dollar okay. or, you know, mess with it enough to make its systems malfunction and blow up. Okay. Okay. So in the midst of this, of this scene, it's, it's montage, like there's like the music and whatnot, we get this uh, sort of very quietly, the war doctor saying peace in our time, which is a reference to, um, yeah. to, uh, to um, help me out. Um, the prime minister uh, at before Winston Churchill at the time of World War Two, he went to uh, Nazi Germany to negotiate a treaty 
or an agreement that would prevent <clears throat> Neville Chamberlain. Thank you. That would prevent <laughs> uh, World War II and Hitler sold him a bill of goods. He came back waving this piece of paper saying we're going to have peace in our time which later became one of the most infamous lines of the 20th century because, of course, it led to the most destructive war in human history, and he came off as a total dupe. Right. I'm kind of curious that they would use it here. I mean, the the audience, especially the British audience, would certainly know that reference, and I'm kind of curious what it is they're trying to convey with him saying that, that maybe we really will have peace in our time or maybe we, we need to be skeptical or something along those lines. Uh, or that the war doctor is so war weary that he just doesn't believe it's possible. Um, so they come back, and at this point, Kate, the real Kate Lethbridge Stewart, and Osgood and the other scientists are confronting the Zygon versions of themselves. And Kate has set off a doomsday countdown because you have to have a countdown. You can't just push a button and have things blow up, unless it's the moment, apparently. So, so you have this countdown um, that's going to destroy London for the sake of saving the world from the Zygon invasion um, in five minutes, in five minutes. Now, again, f- uh, some prefiguring of, of this very same situation pretty much uh, with uh, Peter Capaldi's 12th doctor. We're going to have this in the Zygon invasion episodes. So it's a very interesting mm-hmm. re- you know, callback to this that we're going to have again. Um, and the solution is uh, to take away everybody's memories of who they actually are for a half an hour while they hammer out a treaty, which is a very interesting way of solving this. It's very Solomonic. It is. Well, it's awesome. And as as, so they've cleverly set it up because they've already established everyone who goes to the Black Archive has to have their memory wiped when they leave. So they've already established they have memory wiping technology here. Mm -hmm. And so that's nicely set up. And then as a philosopher, I love this solution because this is an actualization of a of a view by a philosopher named John Rawls, um, who is considered like the most important political philosopher of the 20th century. Um, according to John Rawls, it, in order to in order to establish justice, you need to pretend that you're in what he called the original position. And the original position is where you don't know what role in society you're going to be playing. So you have to design the rules of society as if you could end up in any position. And if you're if you and the other people who are designing it are happy with the with uh, with what you've designed, knowing that I could end up at any random point in society, then it's an ultimately just or fair way of designing society. And so this is essentially the same thing where you have if they're negotiating a treaty, not knowing which side they're ultimately going to be on. And that ensures that they're being fair in how they arrange the treaty rather than self-interested because they it's a way of neutralizing self-interest. And I as a philosopher, I just love seeing John Rawls's idea put in concrete form here in this sci-fi show and and this treaty like i said becomes a key element in that later episode the two-part episode with the invasion of the the zygon invasion um and so while an inversion an inversion right uh 
and while they're having this this negotiation, uh, Clara has a moment with the war doctor, and they're kind of having this conversation where the, this line comes up with you know where he's talking about like the regret that he's going to feel, uh, what you know it, once he pushes this button, which he still intends to do, and and she says, how many worlds has his regret saved? Um, and I thought that was really interesting because mm-hmm. what it shows is is you know the actions we take are not the end in and of themselves, but they set us forward on a path and that path can lead to good and kill the evil. It's what we do with that path. You know, just because we start in a bad place doesn't mean that all the ends must be bad, but that, and I'm not saying the end justify the means. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying, you know, where we go from something bad that happens is what we make of it. You know, we can, we can use the bad that has happened to us to bring about good. So Claire is implying that he's channeled in his subsequent lifetimes, he's channeled his guilt in a constructive way and ended up saving people. And she's trying to comfort him by telling him that that's going to happen. It also implies that if he doesn't go through with this, um, he he might not save those worlds. And that's. That's a, a, a problem presented to the audience, but one that's ultimately resolved uh, with a little clever writing. But um, but it's a it's it becomes an issue uh, for or at least for the audience as we watch it. So um, he disappears back to the barn uh, on Gallifrey and he's got his hand on his on the big red button he asked for. Um, and then the two TARDISes materialize behind him, at which point I notice that the TARDISes are not exactly alike. I never, oh, yeah. I didn't realize that how that they're they're different colors, and even some Matt, other elements are different. They're, they're different colors. Matt Smith's TARDIS is taller, yep. and I think it may be the tallest of all of the TARDISes. They've made slight design changes over the years, and Matt Smith's TARDIS has the Saint John's ambulance symbol on it, which is a callback to the very first TARDIS uh, in William Hartnell's era. Uh, and uh, the uh, the moment has this line which she where you know the you he, she's talking to him as he's thinking about pushing the button and then she says you know do you hear the sound of the TARDIS that it makes and you, the sound of the TARDIS brings hope to anyone who's lost even you and that's when they appear. Yep. Yeah. And they know this moment should be time locked. We shouldn't be able to be here. Something must have, must have let us through. So they're kind of feeling their way towards a realization of the of moment, the which they never really get. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to me. I feel like that Clara is the one who saves them all. She sort of saves the day. Mm-hmm. She, mm-hmm. she leads them to this understanding of, 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 she, she doesn't give them the solution, but she's, she kind of leads them to understanding that something else must be possible. You know, right. she talks about the warrior. You're, you know, he's the warrior. He's the hero, but you're the doctor. Like you're the realization of what it means to be the doctor. You've you finally returned to becoming the doctor. Um, that it took three yeah. g- regenerations to get there. I I think and I think the writing is becoming weak at this point. Um, I mean, for several reasons. Like, there's no explanation. Why do Matt Smith and David Tennant get in their TARDISes and try to come here? I mean, he, they they explain that they the moment has let them through, but there's no explanation for why they even try. Then we have this role reversal on Clara's part where she's initially comforting the war doctor, telling him you're going to channel what you're about to do into good. But now she's telling them, don't do this. And so she's she's like reversed her position on this with no no on screen reasoning for that. We also have this. okay, 
you're the hero pointing at David Tennant or indicating David Tennant, even even though Matt Smith is a hero too. And David Tennant is not less of the doctor than Matt Smith. Right. So that doesn't make any sense. And then you have these two guys who just back in the vault were saying, I made a mistake. That was the wrong thing to do. And so today we're going to do the right thing by getting the humans and Zygons to cooperate. They were just saying that pushing the button was the wrong thing to do. And now they're offering to push the button with John Hurt. Mm -hmm. And that makes no sense. And so, Peter, this is a point where I think Peter Moffat's writing is has become incoherent. And he's just trying to grab at a bunch of different emotional notes and hope the audience won't notice how incoherent all of this is. Yeah, I mean, I could see how you could get to these points. And I think he tried to do that. Like he tried to have this, these, um, this, you know, in the, in the dialogue, in the emotion of the moment, to try to convey how their, their minds are changed and how they've come to a realization. But there just isn't enough time for that. At this point, it can't, there's not enough time to really yeah. develop it, which is kind of what makes me like what what was with the whole Zygon subplot anyway? Like it seems to have been a distraction from the real plot of the real story that this was about, which was about Gallifrey, Gallifrey Falls. Yeah. Um, and, and if we hadn't had that whole subplot, maybe we would have had time to develop this bit, a bit more. Um. So so that there's that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I like the line, you know, the name he chose was a promise. And then they quote, never cruel or cowardly, never give up, never give in. Never die, never Little surrender. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By Grabzar's hammer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so they come up with this this realization together of um, freezing Gallifrey in the painting um, so that the Daleks will kill each other with the crossfire, which is a solution that um, that Moffat came up with in Blink as well. Which was to have yeah, the yeah. Uh, angels, the weeping angels, stare at each stare other, at each other uh, as the as the uh, the, the TARDIS dematerialized. Yeah. I, I like that they're using the they're going to freeze Gallifrey like in a giant piece of Time Lord art, so to speak. That makes sense to me. That's good. Um, <clears throat> the um, um, and it's a nice exploitation of the Time Lord art cup of soup concept. Mm-hmm. To where they've used that several different times in this episode. I mean, initially, when we encounter it, it's this cool 3D art, and that's neat in and of itself. But then the Zygons use it for their purposes to invade the future, and then the Doctors use it to invade the Black Archive. And now all of the Doctors use it again, performing the calculations on all of their TARDISes the way they previously worked on the door calculation with their screwdrivers. To save Gallifrey, it's a nice uh, reuse of an idea they've already set up. So I love that. What I find less persuasive is all of the Daleks are going to magically kill each other in Crossfire. Right. That's not really plausible. And none of the Daleks get stuck in this thing, too, and don't go with Gallifrey and just continue the time war in the pocket universe. <laughs> and Right. And not a single Dalek survived. Not, I mean, so... They talk about like a billion, well, a billion, one, billion. One does. Yes. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> a billion, billion Daleks uh, in the crossfire firing constantly. I mean, I suppose. This is, this is that's Stephen Moffat's. Let's ramp it up to, you know, 11. Yes. Let's, yeah. You know, that's really all it is there, you know. And, and then magically solution out of it. And if they knew we were coming, the billion, billion Daleks would call for reinforcements. 
Oh, I hate that. <laughs> this is the doctor going into boastful over overdrive, and I yep. hate it when the doctor goes into boastful overdrive. <laughs> so they have to start the calculations for this uh, begin like the, like with the sonic screwdriver and the door. They need to start the calculations, you know, uh, two thousand years ago, and so they have to somehow they they have the first doctor doing this. I'm not sure, like, and they. They never explain right. that. Well, and they don't explain how they it's get all 12 doctors or 13, 13 doctors 13. to um, to show up. Uh, I, 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 I think what we have to infer there, because they, they start talking when they're, when they're having their mutual brainstorm, um, they start talking about deliberately changing our own timeline. And so I think what we have to infer there is they took, we didn't see them on screen, but they took little trips to visit each of their previous and future selves and um, told them they needed to do well, this. And we know why they didn't just have tell the first doctor and let the calculation run all this time. I don't know. But um, and, we, and we know, too, that the, the doctor can communicate to himself through telepathy, at least in person. Because we've seen that on like the three doctors and the five doctors. Yeah. You know, the, um, the whole contact thing and the flat back and forth and all that. Yeah. But they must have visited the other doctors and told them they needed to do this and I guess bring their TARDISes to Gallifrey to help put it in the in the pocket dimension. Um but um but we don't see any of that. And then presumably they all forget it because the timelines are out of sync because they've been altered. Yep. Sure. <laughs> so, that's one of the things we have to just i mean like you said everything kind of happens very quickly in here at the end and and i think some things kind of fall through the cracks uh in order to fit it in um so we have the reality the reality is they just want to pull some old footage and have every doctor show up right yeah. including peter capaldi's eyes uh which we get in, yeah. and the attack eyebrow the attack eyebrows and it's his first appearance as a doctor and caused yes. much speculation among fans when that when that uh, appeared well and we knew who he was we knew yeah. that he was going to be the doctor at that point but we knew nothing about his costume we knew nothing about what the artist was going to look like under him right things like that right which they avoid by just showing us his eyebrows right and arm <laughs> yeah so um the war doctor regenerates into the ninth doctor uh, at this point. Um, yeah. And we only barely get any kind of hint of Christopher Eccleston's face. Yeah. It, kind of in the I, eyes area there. Kind of starts to cheat. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and a comment about the, hope the ears aren't so prominent. And of course, the first thing we see of Christopher Eccleston when he looks at the mirror is flipping his ears. And yeah, and he says, oh, those ears. And that's the thing is, is we're supposed to understand that this is immediately goes to the episode of Rose, Rose that there is no interim yeah. period here. Very slight. OK, yep. yeah. Because, um, you know, he's already been had some interaction with the with the the Autons before he meets Rose. Right. Right. Of course. Um, we get uh, the 10th Doctor's last words again. I don't want to go. Oh, he always says that. Uh, oh, I hated that. Yeah, yeah that was lame. Um, and then we get this very nice scene that kind of surprised a lot of uh, Doctor Who fans, which, you know, what, what in the context of the story, whether it was whether whether it was fit or not, but being able to see Tom Baker uh, on screen here yep. was a, a nice touch. Um, this idea yeah. that he could that the doctor could be a curator um, and and this sort of playful does the doctor eventually retire and become a museum curator and takes again the face of his most famous 
uh, uh, regeneration. Yeah. He implies several of them. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and he gives this line, who knows? Who knows? And he touches his nose like like this is Doctor Who's nose or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. which is which is classic Tom Baker. I mean, I'm sure Stephen Moffat wrote it for him, but that's that's exactly the kind of thing that would have appealed to Tom Baker when he was doing the part. Right. And really all of I mean, <clears throat> it's a silly little scene, but it's also an awesome scene. Because you have the most popular Doctor Who of all time, and the banter between the two of them is just laced with all kinds of little jokes. Oh, yeah. yeah, and he's and he's uh, the oldest surviving actor to play the Doctor, with the youngest actor to play the Doctor. I mean, it's sort of a nice, mm-hmm. a nice uh, little passing of the baton, especially since you know Matt Smith is again coming to the end of his time as the Doctor. And they- of course, they also have the, the revelation there that Gallifrey survived because you have this, this conversation of it, not just Gallifrey Falls or No More, but the right. title of the painting is Gallifrey Falls No More. Right, exactly. Right. We've, we've changed history. And Tom Baker then implies <clears throat> that Matt Smith's, you have a lot of work to do. You've got to go find Gallifrey now, in other words. Right. Yep. And uh, he says, uh, I have a, a, you know, the doctor's dream. I have a new destination. Uh, home the long way round, which is also a biblical reference. Uh, the long the the uh, the wise men taking the long road. Well, also the wise men well, wise, yeah. going home by the long way. Um, and then we have this nice little mm. uh, CGI moment where the the three doctors of this episode take their place among the other doctors, going all the way back to the first doctor. Uh, and they're they're kind of standing in a line, kind of a bent line, yeah. but I like the fact they have William Hartnell's doctor standing off in the back. Cause he's the original from which all the others flow. Right. Exactly. Um, and then uh, we, what we don't have is the 13th doctor, which we was hinted at, but uh, uh, I'm sorry, the 12th doctor who is the 13th incarnation, which is now, which made this, this episode made that numbering very confusing, but uh, the Peter Capaldi doctor uh, is not visible here. Um, yeah. So uh, overall, I I'm I was happy with this then, and still happy with this as the 50th anniversary special. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was nice. Mm-hmm. I, I we didn't bring it up. But it was nice to have David Tennant as the Doctor again. I always, he, and in Wait. some ways, he's my Doctor in that he's the one I really got into Doctor Who with. Um, and so it was mm-hmm. nice seeing him. He's aged. He's kind of visibly aged a little bit. By the time of this, yeah, it was a little surprised, um, but it's nice to see him again. By the way, um, we didn't talk about it, and it's not on all of the releases that you'll see of this. But when they released this in the theater, they had um, an introduction that starred David Tennant and Matt Smith that they played before they played the main feature and you can find that online. It's really quite funny uh, because it was done in 3d. And, uh, and so they, they gave everybody in the audience 3d glasses and Matt Smith is explaining to the audience, like we have reason to believe that your movie audience has been filtered, but has been infiltrated by Zygons. And we've given you all these special glasses to help you detect the Zygons. <laughs> so close your eye, one of your eyes and look at the person next to you. And if you, and if you don't see them, then they're a, they're a Zygon. 
<laughs> and so they're <laughs> they're playing tricks with the glasses like that. But it's really funny, and it's it's worth uh, looking up to 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 watch it once. I, I never did see that. Okay. Um. So, any final thoughts from you guys on on this uh, this episode, Father Corey? Oh, I you know I just I forgot how much fun it was. You know that just it's a fun episode. It really is. It's got some silly points. It's got the I mean very serious points, and of course it you know Stephen Moffat being Stephen Moffat at some point. But no, it was I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. for a 50th anniversary, as I thought then it it really did a great job of celebrating the history of the, the show. I would say I'm kind of, I'm a little, I think I'm a little more mixed on it. I, I liked many aspects of it. I thought of it, a lot of it was fun. I thought of it, a lot of it had some neat concepts. I'm not wild about the Zygons um, as monsters, especially in the new who era. I thought they were more effective in their original appearance in the Tom Baker era. Um, and some of the silliness and the incoherence at parts of this, especially at the climax, um, you know, kind of tarnish it a little bit for me. Um, on balance, it's a positive story for me, but I'm, I don't think I'm as positive. I do think, though, that it works um, much better than some of the other anniversary specials we've seen. Um, the 25th anniversary wasn't that one I didn't like. Um, and the five doctors, I think, was absolutely terrible. Um, the the three doctors, it was older, it was slower, but it was also something new uh, to, to see that. And so it had a kind of inventiveness just by the nature of the story. Um but it's one of the it's it it's it's one of the better anniversary specials. But it's it's by no means my favorite Doctor Who story. And for me, I I enjoyed it. Uh, like Father Corey, I thought it was fun. Um, I thought it was a a, a good romp. Uh, I did find the ending to, uh, the first time I watched it, especially to be somewhat confusing. Uh, on on subsequent viewings, I I kind of got it. But um, but I did like I like the callbacks to uh. To, to the classic who even when I wasn't getting it I liked seeing Tom Baker who was the only classic Doctor Who that I ever knew uh so I, I like those elements and I, I like I, I'm a I'm like Stephen Moffat I'm a completist I don't like loose ends and I like the fact that it connects us between um Paul, uh, Paul McGann and uh Christopher Eccleston and we we fill in the gap and now we're happy <laughs> oh, but by the way, in that uh, in that regeneration, so we're not told the cause of regeneration, but uh, the line we get from John Hurt is wearing a bit thin, yep. which is uh, the same line that was used by William Hartnell before his regeneration. And so the implication may be that he's dying of old age or it may be that the rigors of the time war have 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 been so hard on him that that's kind of why he's he's uh he's aged and is now regenerating i, I wonder too maybe it's the the idea you know the whatever the sisterhood of Karn did for him it was limited to the war you know that's kind of what how i oh. took it that uh with the end of the war is the end of the need for a war doctor and that he hmm. resorts res, resorts back to his natural regenerations so any of those pick pick your, pick your choice i think uh yeah so that's it from us uh we'd love to know what you think of the night and day of the doctor 
the whole 24 hours of the doctor. <laughs> um, <laughs> let us know. Uh, visit us at tridio.com, T-R-I-D-E-O.com, or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Leave us some feedback, uh, some comments. Send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'd love to get audio feedback. Send us some, and uh, we'll play it on the on the show. Keep it short, maybe a minute or so if you can. A couple minutes, not too long. Um, you can even you can set it with your computer, or, uh, or you can record it on your phone using the voice memo function, perhaps. Uh, you can find links to all our uh, personal social media and websites on our show notes on Tridio.com. Uh, we'll be back next week when we'll be discussing the ninth Doctor regeneration story found in the episodes Bad Wolf and Parting of the Ways. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining us and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Are you saying I'm secretive, Dom? Yes, we are the secrets <laughs> for Doctor Who. <laughs> and uh, Father Cory Stika, thank you as well. Always a pleasure. Uh, once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. And remember, great men are forged in fire. It is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those... 